Welcome. My name is Nikki Jones-Stockreef, and I am the host of For the Love of Horses. In this podcast series, conversations with Daphne Hagmans will be shared on topics of horsemanship and a system of compassionate dressage training. I am an adult amateur and have been riding recreationally most of my life. In the last few years, I've been riding in the discipline of dressage with my Clydesdale thoroughbred cross-gelding Winston. My friend Daphne is an FEI rider and trainer and certified High Performance One coach with over 40 years of experience. We hope you are inspired to become a better rider and trainer for your horse. Each episode will cover a topic relevant to the sport of dressage and will end with a take-home message, quote, or reading recommendation. We also discuss strategies to improve your riding success between rides. Hi, Daphne. Hey, Nikki. How are you today? Pretty good. Had a great lesson this morning. We're sitting in a beautiful setting, looking at the arena, sunny day outside. What could be better? Yeah, we're actually doing our podcast in the same place today, so that's a change for us. I know. We're not used to being able to see each other. No. (laughs) And share a snack. Thanks for the cookies. COVID times. (laughs) That's right. So what are we talking about today? Uh, I think we're going to look at, um, in our training, considering the horse's point of view and considering the nature of the horse and how he learns. So kind of the psychology part of of training from, from the horse's point of view. Right. And I've certainly found that so important in my progression in terms of uh, getting the horse listening to me on my aids and being being the leader in the partnership. Yeah, exactly. And partnership, that's that's a great term for it. We don't want to be the the boss of the horse. Um, we, We want it to be a partnership. It is a leadership. But the partnership goes... 51% 51% to you and 49 to the horse. It's not totally equal. You are, you are in charge, but you're working together. And I, I think they want us to be in charge, don't they? They, they kind of look to us for that. Yeah, horses leadership. by nature um, are, are a herd animal. Um, so they do seek a reliable and a competent leader. So if that's not you, if you're not sure of yourself, you're lacking some confidence, um, you're just not having a good day, they're not going to want to follow that person. They, they want to feel safe and comfortable so that primal herd instinct kicks in and, and they want you to lead. A lot of people think, oh no, my horse is dominant. He's always taking over. But there's very few horses I find that are truly dominant. Most of them do want the leader. They're just frustrated and not believing that you're the leader. So you know, they're, they're getting upset because they think now they have to lead. Would you say there's a difference between geldings and mares in um, that respect? Yeah, in, in a herd, naturally, the, mare, the mares are more the herd leaders. So a mare can be more dominant, but is sometimes still not confident. So a okay. gelding will usually follow. I mean, some people think in the herd, oh, isn't the stallion the, the herd leader? But the mare is. So the mares are. Right. So the mare, you know, can show more of those qualities but again lack of confidence they still would like to follow someone and feel safe and be able to let their guard down and not be on guard all the time right so where does that good leadership start would you say Um, I think it starts from when you first approach your horse and work with them on the ground the whole time you're with the horse 
you want to be the leader, not just on the riding. So yeah, I think that's a good point. Sometimes I see people going to catch their horse in the field and, and trying to get on and wrestling them at the mounting block. And, and uh, you know, I'm thinking, well, who's the leader here? Would you even climb on that animal yet when, when you haven't dis established yourself in the partnership as the leader and the horse follows you? So we're pretty big on doing lots of um, groundwork with our horses and people to start to establish that before you even get on. So I, I think that herd mentality can already be worked with before even riding. Right, so when I go and get Winston in the paddock, I try to make sure I've got a treat for him, first off, and that um, I wait for him to come to me as opposed to going straight up to him, and then I reward him with a treat. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think that made a big change for you um, catching your horse when you established that partnership already out there when he didn't you know, try to leave you or you tried to run after and catch him and then the, the other primal instinct of the flight animal kicks in and now you've got the prey animal that thinks the predator's there and he's running away and he's not following you as the leader. So it's not a good start of establishing that partnership and leadership. For sure. And then I think the other thing that's really helped me is, as you said, the groundwork of um, really getting him on my aids with my body posture and my movement so that I, I'm not actually getting him to go or stop using the reins at all, but more just my body posture. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they relate to your energy um, as opposed to, or just your aids, the pressure that you put on them. Mm -hmm. And if they follow you, if they think you're that commanding leader, then they're already going to start agreeing with you. Right, and, and the commanding leader being a calm, confident uh, person in that commanding posture, not angry or mean or you know, punishing. That's not the kind of leader you want to be. That's right. Yeah, they learn from the positive things, reinforcing, reassuring. Um, as opposed to the, the negative, the punishment. So um, we'll often try and say to clarify to the horse what you want rather than correct or punish. Um, you know, horses are really trying to get the right answer. They really do want to please. I know a lot of time people say, no, he's working against me. He doesn't want to do it. He has another agenda. Like, I, I don't believe that horses are like that. They really are trying to figure out the right answer. And it's often just that they they're getting the wrong answer. And if they're not getting the feedback from you that, that, that what the right answer could be, they just don't have a chance to get the right answer. Yeah. So remembering to communicate when you're riding as well, um, that you're happy with the horse, that they've done it right, that they did a good job. And I think you usually say the best way to do that is you know, with your voice and a pat, but also to take the pressure off and go away. Yeah, that could lead us into the whole pressure and release system. So um, that's that's a system that the horse works in. And the, the better we understand that, the better we can help our horses to learn and have success with it. So the horse actually responds to the release of the pressure. So I often use the example of something like the cantorate. You know, the cantorade, when we put our outside leg back and our inside leg at the girth, you know, initially that, that has nothing to do with getting a horse into canter. That, that, they don't understand that. That becomes our signal or our aid, as we call it, to canter. The horse actually responds to 
when they get the right answer of cantering and we take that aid off, they're responding to the release of that pressure, that immediate release. So when we pressure a horse, that doesn't always have to mean something strong or forceful or hard or tight. It can just be, you know, the, well, the cantor aid, the outside aid, just brushing the hair of the horse. It can mm -hmm. be just our energy walking towards the horse. We don't even touch the horse. But as soon as that pressure is released, that's the actual teachable moment, the learning moment where, where it starts to sink in. Right. Good. So yes, by going away, um, we have to think that's, that's a moment of response. That, that has to be immediate. And I think it's proven scientifically, I don't remember that study that was done. It's in 1.4 seconds that the horse needs clarification or release, the going away, to, for it to sink in, for the horse to understand that moment. Right, so it's really important that we know when they're getting it right mm -hmm. to take that pressure mm -hmm. off. To get it right, and even in a horse learning something new, to get it even close, even if it's mm. the, the, that you feel they're trying, that it's something like the right idea, if you can reward that quickly, the horse will have a better idea, maybe not of exactly what the right answer is, but he's eliminated some of the wrong answers. I always mm -hmm. think when we're putting on an aid, you know, especially horse learning something new. Yeah, if the horse already knows it, then they'll respond right away and we expect them to. But if they're, if they're learning something new, it's like they have this huge multiple choice question and they've got all these answers. It could be any of these answers. So they start trying some of them. So if they get even close to the right one and you reward that by going away, they're gonna maybe still not know exactly what the right answer is, but they might've eliminated what the answer isn't. Mm -hmm. That idea of shaping behavior exactly. in, the, in the right direction. And I think that's demonstrated so well in the mounting block exercise. Do you want to explain that a little bit? Sure, yeah, I think that's a good one. Um, and often people think this is so much about teaching the horse to come to the mounting block, but I think it's more a lesson in the whole pressure and release and how horses learn and how quickly it works. So, um, and it does make them stand still and quiet and willing to come to the mounting block. So I think the mounting block one is a good one. Again, sometimes I see, I've said this at the beginning, where I come into the arena and I'm gonna teach someone and they're getting the horse over to the mounting block and they gotta wiggle it between maybe the mounting block and the wall and they kind of pressure the horse over there and they make it stand and now the horse is wiggling around and not understanding it and they just clamor aboard and off they go. And I think, wow, that was a really wasted moment that could have really built a partnership and a trust and a learning and an understanding so instead, we encourage the horses to come to the mounting block and pick you up. So you don't have to line them up at all. You walk straight onto the mounting block. And you know, I'll describe it briefly, but maybe this is best if we did a video link or something to yeah. it if you really wanna see the whole thing in, in progress. But it, um, it literally, from my experience, any horse will pick this up in about five to 10 minutes, a horse that maybe takes a little bit longer might be 15 minutes, but that's it. And it's done. It's done. They, every time afterwards, they will always get the right answer. So we have the horse come close to the mounting block. It, it has to be against a wall. We won't go through all the details, but basically we give the horse a signal. Uh, we use putting our arm up in the air and just making a little kissing noise or something. Um, just that there's a signal. Of course, that means absolutely nothing to the horse the first time you do it, but you have to give them that signal. And then the first time they don't respond at all. 
So then uh, you just start tapping them on the quarters. You're not pushing them towards the mounting block. You just start tapping them and they start to guess. They usually first move away, they back up, they maybe move forward. And so you keep tapping. So again, it's that persistent and consistent application. And the horse at some point will guess and move a tiny step towards you. Immediately, you go away, you stop. You reward the horse, you pet it, just stand there for a moment, and then you do it again. Now you put your hand up, you make the noise. And this time, maybe the horse thinks, okay, back up wasn't the answer, but maybe he still goes sideways, he goes the other way, he steps forward, and then by chance, he's gonna step a little bit towards you. You reward that. It's amazing that usually on that second or third attempt, how the horse will now, when you make the aid, move towards you faster and faster and come right up beside you. Yeah, it's so amazing. And, and you know, it's not that you're tapping them on the other side, that they're moving away from the whip and you're not hurting them. You're just kind of annoying them and they want that to stop. Right. And as soon as they make, give you the right answer, again, towards the right answer, you're, you're going away. Yeah. So it's a good example of not making the horse come over to you. Like you said, if you had tapped them on the opposite side, that's making the horse do it. That's not teaching the horse to do it. Now that you've taught him to do it, he can give you the right answer every time. And they're so pleased to give you the right answer. They're so pleased that they got this right that sometimes you get to the mounting block and, and I see people, they've got to get up that mounting block faster because the horse is already coming over. He knows the right answer and he's so happy to get the right answer for you. Yeah. That's great. So we need to take that to all our other aids, whether it's a canter aid or a flying change aid or a, a, a half halt aid, whatever the aid is, it, the aid has to be consistent. You have to be persistent and follow through until the horse gets the right answer. So if we use that same example of the mounting block pressure and release system in something else, like say we're bending the horse, we have our bending aid, we're gonna use our inside seat bone, down and forward, our inside leg at the girth, our outside leg behind the girth guarding, inside flexion, outside rein support. If we're teaching the horse on the circle and we're practicing our, as we do in dressage, 10,000 circles, bending and bending and bending, <laughs> circles and we have circle. that bending aid, that's great. Now we've taught the horse that. When we go to another exercise like shoulder in or travet or half pass that involve bending and we use a different bending aid, How's the horse going to get the right answer? He doesn't stand a chance. And then we have a different bending aid for circle, for corner, for shoulder in, for travers, for half pass. Why not keep it simple and have one bending aid for everything we do? Perfect. And then the horse understands it and says, I know the answer. It's bending. Now I use a phrase often in my riding in lessons saying, the easy part is you just have to do it exactly the same. And the hard part is you just have to do it exactly the same mm -hmm. because are we going to behave the same every time we bend with the same aids and consistently follow through and persist until the horse gives the answer and then go away. Right. That feel of knowing what you want, when you're getting it and being able to control the aid that it's on or off. That's right. Yeah. So sounds simple. <laughs> sounds simple, but I think understanding the psychology behind it for horse and rider can really help us when our horse gives the wrong answer that we can say now, oh yeah, he wasn't being bad. He was trying an answer because he didn't know. And I inadvertently rewarded the wrong answer um, by going away. So he thought that was the answer. 
I give the example, I mean, it's not a very nice one, but horses that might buck or rear, you know, your horse might out of frustration, maybe you're trying to do a rein back or get him to stand still in the halt and he guesses, well, maybe I go forward or I go backwards and I can't go anyway. So, oh, maybe I'll stand up or I'll kick out at their leg. Often in that moment, we go away. So the horse says, oh, I know what the right answer is. I'll kick out at her leg. And again, they're not doing anything bad. They're just being horses. Those are natural reactions for horses. And if it made us go away, he's gonna think that's the right answer. He's not being naughty. He's just being a horse. Yeah, so, so important to not go away in that moment until he at least approaches the right answer. Yes, because then he would eliminate, okay, kicking out isn't the right answer. That didn't make her go away. Maybe I'll try something else like stand still or back up or whatever you were trying to do. So keeping that, calm tunnel vision when you're riding of what it is that you want um, the horse to respond to also makes you more aware of when he gave the right answer or the wrong answer as opposed to you getting off track as well yeah and and I've certainly gone through that with Winston where I give an aid and I'm pretty sure I'm doing it correctly and he backs up or he goes sideways and I used to get frustrated and take my aids off and think what am I doing wrong but now I just calmly say wrong answer and stick with it until he does it right. Um, and actually, it hardly ever happens now. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> it's a big change when you can understand how horses are thinking and learning. And yeah, I think that's a great example because, yeah, he would wiggle around or do something else. And then you try and fix that. And it's like he drags you down this other path where both of you don't know really where it's going anymore. Whereas you, if you quietly just persist with the same question until he gets approximately the right answer, how quickly then he eliminates the wrong answers. All those and wrong answers. yeah, within two yeah. or three attempts, you've only got the right answer left and he gives it to you right away. And you're both happy. Yeah. He's happy that he pleased you and you're happy that he answered. And uh, you give a pat, you take a break and uh, it's all resolved. Yeah. Yeah, the going away thing is interesting because um, you think about the ultimate going away is when you get off the horse. So sometimes we've had, I read an example of, I think it was in um, Podofsky's classical book in Training Horses. Mm -hmm. He was talking about a horse he struggled. I think the story was he struggled with getting the flying changes or it was retraining a horse or something. And the horse made a flying change the one day and he immediately jumped off the horse and gave it a pad and put it back in the barn. And someone said, oh, aren't you going to try it again? And he said, no, no, he gave the right answer. And, you know, not just going on a free walk or a long rain, but it was such a, a, a big thing, a big achievement for this horse to get the flying change that he jumped off the horse immediately, immediately, and put it away. And the next day he came out and he tried again and the horse made the flying change. And then he immediately dropped the reins, went for a long walk. Like he, he did the going away, not getting off but really made it, you know, he's finished for the day. And then within, within a few days uh, to a week, he could just uh, do the flying change, give the reins, pat the horse, canter on, and the horse knew the answer. It was, it was resolved. Amazing. Yeah, it's, re it's really cool to me. I mean, I do a lot of this kind of work in, um, in my job with, mm -hmm. with people who have behavior problems, but it's so interesting how it applies in horses. Mm -hmm. Yes, when you understand their learning, then you can apply that learning technique and not others that just, that just aren't going to work for them. Yeah, so interesting. And that horses learn very much by positive teaching as opposed to negative. I, I think we kind of feel that 
naturally with them, but we don't always impose that. So they really want you to tell them what to do. What They don't want you to tell them what not to do. So I often give the example of um, a horse walking versus jogging. So that, you know, a horse is walking and then he gets some tension maybe or something happens that the horse goes into a jog. And so often this develops into a big problem because the rider will tell the horse not to jog. Don't jog. It, you know, maybe not verbally, but yeah, sometimes as well. But really tell the horse not to jog. But you're not telling the horse what to do. But if instead you say to the horse, walk flat-footed, four-beat, rhythmical walk, how quickly they'll come back to the walk. Whereas when you're telling them not to jog, it's a bit of a double whammy because one, they're not learning by negative teaching and they don't know what the right answer is. They don't have a chance to guess the right answer. So now they're getting anxious and frustrated um, and, and we have that uh, not having the competent leader so they're not believing you anymore so now they just they just want to do their own thing and they're going to keep jogging yeah yeah i've definitely had to work on that too <laughs> <laughs> but it really worked didn't it it to, does um, it to, does yeah to take that um things like breathing and your heart rate um horses really pick up on this so if you're getting anxious about something as well they start panicking uh, if your breathing changes, your heart rate changes, now you're not the competent leader anymore. So again, are they going to follow you? Or are they going to listen to you even if you have the right answer? So that whole staying calm and persistent and, you know, never getting uh, too upset with them, never getting really excited if they do something well. That's another one sometimes when the horse, uh, you know, makes a, a first attempt at something that was difficult. And, oh, that's so great. And people get really excited. That upsets a horse too. You know, they, they like that kind of level emotion when training them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I can think about starting a cross course at, a, at an event in my previous riding life and um, my horse at the time, Chester, getting so excited and jogging mm -hmm. before going into the starting gate and I would really have to concentrate on not being excited myself and just walk him around, try to be calm because he very much fed off my emotions. So sure. Being excited. Yeah. Sure. And it's the same physical response, right? Good excitedness as much as negative true. fear or excitement. It's the same emotional response or physical mm -hmm. response in a person. Um, so they're not sure, you know, maybe he was thinking, oh my gosh, she's excited. He didn't know in a good way and his flight instinct kicked in. So now yeah. he's getting all nervous yeah. and then they can't listen and do a good job in that case out on the cross country course or in our case in a, in a dressage ring responding. Yeah. Do you want to mention a little bit about the ears? Cause I think that's a really good clue as to whether the horse is going to respond to you. Yeah, the ears are such a great indicator um, when we're on the horse, they're right there in front of us and, and they really are expressive with their ears. So when a horse is really working um, with you, they're going to have one ear slightly tipped back on you and maybe one ear on the environment. That's, that's kind of a normal stance for a horse. When a horse is really focused, we'll see both ears come back, kind of that half sideways horses that are really relaxed and supple some of them have those lovely floppy ears that really shows the relaxation the focus um, but when we have like both ears 
looking at something in the distance or or out of the arena you know the the horse is not focused to you so so paying attention to the ears can bring the horse back to you to say hey i'm the leader listen to me um you know bring, bring your focus back back in the arena back in our little bubble so ears can often tell quite a bit ahead of time you know someone might say to me oh yeah yeah horse spooked there i didn't even see it coming and i'll think really like 10 meters ago he had both ears pinned on that and wasn't focused on you at all so if you see that you've lost an ear bring bring that ear back on you and and bring mm -hmm. your horse's focus and confidence back to you so you feel right. especially if it's a spooky thing that he's looking at you know now he's zoned in on that again make him feel safe say yep yeah, stay here with me i'll be your hero i'll save you mm -hmm. you don't need to run away from that yeah there's no tiger in the bushes that's right because they're they're still some are more primal than others but they still have those primal instincts that are in there there's still a horse under all this right good did we miss anything I think we can, I think this topic could uh, be revisited many many times but I think we did a good um, overview and maybe get people thinking a little differently on how their horse is thinking and maybe he's not being naughty all the time maybe he's not understanding maybe you could make his life a little easier asking him some questions and looking for good answers from him I think um, a nice quote that we had from uh, Monty Roberts who's a great horse trainer who's really taken into account horse psychology and really made his life studying that and changing over to really positive training. He's, his quote is that a good trainer can get a horse to do almost anything. The great trainer can cause the horse to want to do it for you. From the horse whisperer himself. Himself. I think <laughs> that's a great one to bring to your training and I can guarantee Thinking in a way that a horse thinks or understanding how a horse thinks is going to give you greater success in training horses. Excellent. Okay. I think that's an, another wrap. There we go. Another one uh, uh, added to the list now. For sure. Mm -hmm. Okay. Take care, Nikki. Bye, Daphne. Bye.